Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to Episode 3 of the 12 Broken Bridges, New Pathways to Restore Spiritual Vitality to Your Life and to Your Church. Wow. i tell you what, God's pathway to heaven, we all know, is Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. And God's bridge to introduce Jesus to people is your church, the body of Christ, the body of believers where you belong. That's God's outpost in your community. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, after looking at a lot of churches over the last four decades, we've discovered that there are a lot of broken bridges. And here's number three, broken bridge number three, clueless Christians. Now, don't take that the wrong way, and please don't be offended. I know it sounds harsh, but we don't mean to be unkind about this, but this is really, really important. Look, there are two concepts in the New Testament, two practices that are really a major central part of the move of God. In fact, wherever you see an explosion of Christianity, these two issues are just a part of the life of the church, of the local church. Wherever you see an exploding church, a growing church, in the good sense of a church that is making progress and moving out and touching lives and making a difference and changing the community, These two elements are very visible. Whether you know it or not, they're there. And these two issues were actually recaptured in the Protestant Reformation years ago. And then, after the Reformation, for the most part, honestly, fairly quickly ignored or forgotten or treated like it's unimportant, something that doesn't matter that's in the New Testament, or something the enemy surrounded with fog so that we couldn't see it clearly so that we would have a broken bridge. These two are absolutely bedrock for the health and vitality of the church and the Christian movement, and both of them are connected to each other. The first one is the priesthood of all believers. Now, in a previous episode, I talked a little bit about that. Just to recapture that again, it is the concept that everyone is a minister. There isn't a hierarchy in the church. There are only those who are equipped to disciple people, to be in ministry, to be the priesthood of all believers. And that's the Ephesian 4 people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the pastors. Those are people who have special roles of equipping ministry. They don't just do ministry, but as they do ministry, they equip people to do ministry. They're always multiplying themselves. That's their number one job. Your number one job as a pastor is not to preach. That's important, very important, and you wouldn't want to not do that. I mean, you wouldn't want to miss that. That's an essential thing that we're supposed to do as pastors. But the number one thing that you need to do is while you do ministry, equip someone else to do ministry. Because everyone is a minister, which means that everyone has a ministry. And that's the key identity for Christians. And that identity is ministry. What is your ministry? Sadly, it's become a corporate kind of mentality. That key identity is where do you go to church? Like, where do you belong? Like, where's your membership? How long have you been a member? None of those things are biblical. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. But that's not the top notch. That's not the top shelf of what's most important. That's not the key vital issue. And we're not members of some corporate organization. We are ministers, all of us, everyone. And so that's the priesthood of all believers. 
And that describes the role of people who are staff people, leaders in the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their main job is to equip God's people for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4, to equip people to do ministry so that ministry is the lifestyle of every Christian. The priesthood of all believers, that's that number one then, and connected to that is number two, is that Christians are equipped for ministry, not by college or seminary, not by degrees, not by volunteering, certainly not by being elected by some election and vote in the church, but by the Holy Spirit who gives gifts, supernatural attributes that every Christian has. Usually there are several, several gifts given to each person. And so the key issue is to discover what those gifts are. So here it is. According to scripture, there is one primary way to know God's will for your life of service, your Christian life, your Christian service. But here's what we know, because when we consult churches, we ask people, do you know your spiritual gifts? And our research shows that most Christians and even many staff people at churches have no clue about their spiritual gifts. That's why this broken bridge is called clueless Christians. They just don't get it. So I want to share my personal story. I grew up in a Lutheran church. Why? Because my parents were Lutheran. Why? Because my grandparents were Lutheran. And who knows where that all started way back when. Wasn't a bad thing. It just was part of my family history. And so I was a Lutheran. I became a Lutheran. I'm still a Lutheran. I'm a world Christian Lutheran now, but I'm a Lutheran. So, you know, the Lutheran Church was started by a guy by the name Martin Luther, and that was about 500 years ago. And part of the deal with Luther was to teach young people in the church through a key set of doctrinal things. Now, this is important for Luther, and it's important all the time, but it's important for Luther because in the Catholic Church that he reformed in the Reformation, the Protestant Church that followed, getting the right teachings from the Bible was a key reforming principle. You want to get the church back on track, you get back to the Bible, back to the key teachings of the Bible, you follow that, and you're doing church better. And so they had this thing in the Lutheran Church, they still have it, called confirmation. It's confirming what God has done in your baptism, confirming what you know to be true about Scripture. And the way to teach that was catechetics or catechism or confirmation, whatever you want to call it. The idea is that you're taught these basic truths basic doctrines of the scripture. Well, long before Luther, some of this stuff was put into creeds. A creed is simply a statement of what you believe. And one of those most famous and popular and universal creeds around the world among Christians is the Apostles' Creed. It's not a big deal if you can't recite it. If you can recite it, yeah, that's helpful. But if you can't, if you just believe the things that are in the creed, that's what is really important. So in the creed, there are three parts. One is about God the Father, one is about Jesus, God the Son, and the third one is about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And that universal apostles' creed is believed by Christians all over the world for centuries. And those basic doctrines, whether you recite it or not, those basic teachings 
are pretty much agreed upon by all the different branches of Christianity. The Eastern Orthodox Church, the the Orthodox Church in the West, the Protestant churches all over the world, and the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholics, and they're part of that. So all these different people have this in common that this apostolic council that they had long before the Roman Catholic Church even existed came up with this doctrinal statement, this creed called the Apostles' Creed. Well, that third part of that creed is about the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther called them articles, one, two, and three, the third article. One about God the Father is the first article, second one about Jesus, God the Son, and then the third article about the Holy Spirit. Well, then what Martin Luther did is he put an explanation to that third article. So we had to memorize all this stuff, being part of a Lutheran church. I'm not sad about that. It was good teaching. It really was. Good to learn that stuff. But guess what? One of the things of Martin Luther's Reformation teaching, particularly about this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, was, among all the stuff the Holy Spirit does, is he enlightens you with his gifts, not your gifts, his gifts. As a Christian, you have these gifts, not like I'm good at basketball or something like that, or I can play the piano, but spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit gifts. So I learned to recite that in the Lutheran church when I was, oh, maybe eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade. So I did that, and I left that confirmation experience clueless about what that meant. I'm not saying it was my pastor's fault who taught the class. It could have been me, but I was just clueless about the fact that I had unique supernatural gifts given by the Holy Spirit that my mom didn't have the same gifts, my dad didn't have the same gifts, my sister didn't have the same gifts. They were unique set of gifts given uniquely to me. So in my senior year of high school, I decided that I would become a pastor. So then I had to go to college. That was the deal. So I went to college, and I went to a Lutheran college. And at a Lutheran college, I learned Lutheran stuff. But in four years of college, I learned zilch, nada, nothing about spiritual gifts. Not one class, not one mention, nothing, okay? So then I went to a Lutheran seminary. I learned nothing not one bit about spiritual gifts. And I was training to be a pastor of people. And of course, I knew that when I got out there better to be a pastor, since I was going to be a Lutheran pastor, I needed to run these young people through Luther's catechism, which by then the language had been updated a little bit, and it wasn't so much King James stuff which was at least an improvement, but I still didn't get it. I taught about the third article about the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, but I still had never known enough about my own spiritual gifts. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what the gifts were, even though they're in the Bible, spread over three chapters and a few other little places in the Bible. But I, I couldn't even help those young people learn about their spiritual gifts. Well, then I went to mission school two weeks at a time over, oh, three, four times a year over three or four years. 
I went to mission school that was a training school in California, Fuller Seminary. It's a doctor of ministry program. I don't care about another doctorate, but that was beside the point. I want to learn how to be a missionary to my neighborhood as a pastor. And in that process, I learned about spiritual gifts. And I thought, where has this been all my life? Yeah, I knew it was in the third article of the Apostles' Creed and Luther's Catechism. I had no clue what it meant. I just kind of, yeah, that's what you recite. That's what you do. Yeah, whatever that means. I had no idea that people had different gifts, that I had unique gifts. I just had no clue. I'm embarrassed to say. But I went to a non-Lutheran school that mainly talked about missions. And because knowing spiritual gifts and the priesthood of all believers, those two things that are part of every revival, are key. Therefore, I had to learn about my spiritual gifts. I took a spiritual gift survey. It's just a bunch of questions about the gifts that are in the Bible and what we learn in the Bible in the context about each of those gifts. And I discovered that there were gifts I had and there were gifts I didn't have. And it became clearly obvious to me that, oh yeah, that's why I struggle with that area. I don't have that gift. I need to find someone to compliment me, someone who has that gift. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It's so practical. It's so powerful. It's so enlightening. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's maybe why Luther said, the Holy Spirit has enlightened me with his gifts. It is. It's so enlightening. You can't know who you are as God's child without knowing your spiritual gifts. Every Christian has been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. And when you know your gifts, you know your spiritual mission, your spiritual ministry, You know your spiritual job description. You know where you fit in the body of Christ. And it was absolutely a life changer for me. And I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know that until after I was ordained, after I was a pastor for a couple of years, after I attended both college and seminary to be a pastor, went on a PhD program in theology. I still didn't know until I went to learn how to be a missionary. And it's because these two things are so important to your church, the priesthood of all believers and the spiritual gifts that shows believers where they're supposed to serve in ministry, everyone a minister. Those two things connected at the hip and so crucial to growing the church, to effective ministry, How could we have drifted so far? We get into churches all the time where people have no clue about their spiritual gifts. Not whatsoever. And so the whole concept, again, is not rocket science, but your three goals for your life, and this ought to happen early on in your Christian life, never too late though, no matter what. Number one, discover your spiritual gifts. You know, take one of the many surveys. We have one at Church Doctor Ministries. There are other people that have them. Some of them, depending on the scholars that you look at that talk about spiritual gifts, these are people that spent their whole lives studying about spiritual gifts. They write about them in books. And then people that do surveys, some of them buy into what some scholars say, some of them into what other scholars say. The survey that we put together at Church Doctor, we just decided to use all the reputable scholars and use the combination of all the gifts that collectively they think are the gifts. There's no way we could be smarter than those people. They spent their whole lives studying this stuff, but they don't necessarily agree with 
one gift or another. So some of them include a certain gift or others would exclude that gift. But we just made it comprehensive. If you want to leave some of them out, knock your lights out. Who cares? If you just discover whatever you think are really spiritual gifts, if you're smarter than all those scholars, go for it. But you got to discover your spiritual gifts. It is the most important thing in your spiritual walk to put your discipleship ministry into practice. So number one is discover your spiritual gifts. Once you know where God has gifted you and what your gifts are, then the second thing is to develop those gifts. In other words, focus in those areas. Now, if there's some gifts you don't know anything about, and there will be, everybody takes a survey, has to check the box and says, I've never experienced that before. Just one example, if you've never been in a cross-cultural situation, then you probably don't know whether or not you have the gift of missionary. So if you want to know if you have that gift, then you just do some work at a mission that works with people of a different culture, reaches out to people that that have a different culture than you are. And then you'll discover other gifts you have you also can use in a cross-cultural situation. But that's the way you can test that out. So you can experiment with the gifts. But the main thing is once you hone in on what your gifts are, I like to recommend that you do a Bible study. And we have Bible study too, Church Doctor Ministries. There are other ones as well that will help you do, uh, well, you look up all those passages that deal with people doing the gift that you've discovered you think you have as you've reflected about these spiritual gifts. So then you can learn more about it. That's one way to develop. That's the academic side of it. The other is put it to use. Find other people that have that gift and learn what you can from each other. People that have maybe discovered their gifts a long time ago and have a long history of using their gifts. How cool would that be? So number one, discover. Number two, develop. And number three, use your spiritual gifts and recognize these are not talents. People have talents too, but these are Holy Spirit-given unique spiritual gifts that appear in the Bible as gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they're different than talents. Don't call them talents. Talents are wonderful, and in a bigger sense, in the universal sense, everything is a gift from God, including your talents. If you can play the piano, fine. That's a gift that God has given you, but not a spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the creation, probably a gift from God the Father, the first article of the Apostles' Creed, where not where the Holy Spirit is, but the creative work of God the Father. And so these are not things that are learned. These are gifts that are given. This is God at work in your life. And that's a big deal. The other thing is when you know your spiritual gifts, you will never be tempted again to be jealous of someone in the church who is gifted in an area and doing ministry in an area where you are not gifted. Because you'll understand that's the way the Holy Spirit dealt out the gifts. And you've got yours. They've got theirs. So what's to be jealous about? Just immerse yourself in using your gifts. It's the collective use of gifts. Just like a football team, not everybody's a quarterback, not everybody's a center, not everybody's on offense. It's all of them together with special, unique roles to play. Your role to play in the body of Christ is connected to your gifts. So that's where you find divine fulfillment. Not just in serving as a volunteer, but as someone who's in the area of their giftedness, because that's where the Holy Spirit works through you the most. Now, the body of Christ is the metaphor that's used in Scripture most often to describe the miraculous church. 
with all these spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit, working together in a team, doing miraculous things by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. But what we like to do is we like to turn the church into some kind of a corporation or some sort of secular organization. So what we do is we ask for volunteers. We use volunteers. We even have programs for volunteers instead of discovering your spiritual gifts. Well, I'll tell you what. In the New Testament, Paul says, what if one part of the body, one gifted person in the church, says to another, I have no need of you. So what if we imply that if you're not a volunteer, you're kind of low on the totem pole in God's eyes. You're kind of a loser. I volunteer. What if we beg for volunteers and we want someone to do some kind of a job? So we're begging for people to volunteer for that job. And what if you in your heart of hearts say, you know, I don't think that's me. I don't think that's, I don't think that I could do that. I don't know that that's where I fit. You see, when you get into volunteerism, it's kind of a big picture look at the church. And that's not the way God works at it. He works at it individually for individual people. And so you get the idea that if you're not a volunteer in the body of Christ, well, God doesn't have any need for you. That just is not part of the Bible. Or if you're not elected, you know, this crazy idea of a corporate approach to scripture, a corporate approach to church where, you know, okay, we're going to elect people to certain positions. It's not biblical to vote for people. It's not biblical to run for office. Nothing in the Bible about that. You help people discover their gifts and you identify those people and you disciple them into those positions. I've got news for you. Jesus, the head of the body, does not say, I have no need for you. The Holy Spirit is calling you through your gifts. Come on. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. The Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes. Your creator didn't make any mistakes. So what if you answer the plea for volunteers that goes like this? Oh, we need Sunday school teachers badly. We don't get a Sunday school teacher. These poor kids are not going to have a teacher. Someone needs to step up and take Mabel's place. She's not able to teach anymore. That's a true story from an elderly lady in my church that had taught for 50 years and didn't have the gift of teaching. What if you do it? What if you volunteer? Because, well, the church needs me, and they're pleading, and those kids need somebody. And what if you find out that's not your area of giftedness? I know people that are high school teachers and brilliant at it, but don't have the gift of teaching, which means in the body of Christ, they're not called to do that. But they have a gift in some other area, and that's what they do in the body. They teach in high school, they're great, but in the church, they serve in a whole other area where they're gifted, because that's where in the body of Christ they fit. It may not be where they fit in high school, but it's where they fit in the body of Christ. So if you grind people into volunteering into something, and they feel guilty, or they feel pressured, they feel just like they ought to help out in some way. What happens? It becomes a duty. It becomes a chore. Then what? Well, then you're not at your best. You're not the best teacher for that class. No, because you don't fit. We call that a misfit. No negative connotation meant or implied. But what is meant and implied, and absolutely the truth, God has a place for you. God has a place for every Christian, every single person who confesses Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit is in you, and you have a special place. You just need to discover it. You need to know your spiritual gifts. I can't tell you how many science school teachers I've interviewed one-on-one in confidential interviews on a consultation, and I'll ask, what is your job description as a science school teacher? And 
they'll tell me in discussing it that they have this job description, but when you ask if they're fulfilled, they say, well, you know, I like the kids and, you know, it's got to be done. How did you get there? Oh, they were asking for volunteers. But I'll tell you this, if teaching is your gift, your spiritual gift, you're going to be fulfilled. And if you disciple another person while you're teaching and you disciple a person who has a gift of teaching and they know it before you start, it's going to work. And you're going to multiply yourself. And you're never going to run out of Sunday school teachers. You know why? Because <laughs> you followed the Bible. You took that broken bridge and went back to the pathway of Jesus. The pathway around that broken bridge of volunteerism. That broken bridge of that life without spiritual gifts. That broken bridge of volunteering to do some kind of work just because you're a dedicated Christian. If you're a dedicated Christian, find out your gifts and serve where God has designed you. You'll be so happy. God will be so happy. Your church will grow. People will be fulfilled. You won't be burned out. You'll love it. It's God's plan. You can't improve on God's plan. <laughs> so let's get away from being clueless Christians and let's learn how God wired us with spiritual gifts. In our next episode, episode number four, we're going to look at the broken bridge of discipleship disaster. Yeah, we'll look at how Jesus says we are equipped for ministry and wonder why most Christians have no clue. Most churches don't follow God's plan. Until next episode, search your heart and search your Bible for God's pathway around your broken bridges. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.